0: Easter's not far away, is it? So what is it? Friday is Good Friday. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Today is what's known as Palm Sunday. Now, for the Christian church, Palm Sunday, it's traditionally been a day of celebration. It's a day where we celebrate the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. And that really is something truly to celebrate and something to look forward to as well. Now, in our series that we've been working our way through, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. Now, most of you probably won't remember this, but um, we preachers, we, we like to delude ourselves in, into believing that, um, that everybody, most people, will remember most of the stuff that we've told you. But So I'm going to hope that some of you might recall that right back when we first began our series on the Gospel of Mark, I said that a lot of Bible scholars describe the gospel of Mark as a passion narrative with an introduction. Does anybody remember that? Not even anyone, not one. I, I could pretend surprised, but I'm not really. Um, now, what does that mean, a passion narrative without an introduction? I, I mean, I never even knew what the passion of Christ was until the movie came out. If I was, if I was a better theologian I'd, I'd, or a better church person, I probably would have known. Um, but the passion of Jesus Christ, um, it, it's the story of Jesus's arrest, trial, humiliation, torture, and execution. And so a passion narrative is that story. Of what happened. And from about halfway through the gospel of Mark, we're being told the story of Jesus's journey to the cross. So in our series, we're actually up to about halfway through chapter nine. And in the teaching, Jesus is already predicting his death. Geographically, he's already begun his physical journey to the cross. He started at the north of Israel and he's starting to head towards Jerusalem. And spiritually, he's preparing his disciples for his crucifixion. Right, So from about halfway through, Jesus has already begun his journey to the cross. Now, we should probably think, right, well, th- ooh, the Gospel of Mark is probably going to be the ideal book then for, for, the, for Easter time because, because it's so much of it about Easter. But that presents us with a problem. Which bit do we concentrate on? Because we obviously can't do about half the gospel all just over this one weekend or two weekends if we pull in Palm Sunday. So because we're in the season that we're in, we're going to leave the series where, where we're up to and we'll come back to that in a couple of weeks' time. We're going to skip forwards, not, not a lot, but we're going to skip forwards to chapter 10, verse 46, and we're going to read right through to chapter 12, verse 12. Uh, We're not going to study it in any great depth today, Um, but when we return to our series again in a couple of weeks' time, um, we'll explore some of it a bit deeper as we go. Um, And if you don't mind, for today, I'll just do the Bible reading myself, because I've interspersed it throughout the message. So let's start at chapter 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho... And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus. Uh, by the way, that's, that's what Bartimaeus means. Bar means son of. So Bartimaeus should be no surprise that he's the son of Timaeus. Um, so in the Old Testament, um, Ben means son of, right? So my son, his name is Ben Michael Brumpton. That would mean Ben meaning the son of Michael Brumpton. Um, here we've got Bar Timaeus, because in the New Testament, Bar means son of. So you would know Barabbas. Well, Barabbas means son of Abbas, son of father. Righto. So Bar Timaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was right sitting by the roadside. what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Right. Now, some of you might be a little bit surprised that I began our, Sunday, our Palm Sunday reading with blind Bartimaeus. Why would I do that? Well, The reason I did it is because it actually sets the scene for Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. In the whole of the Gospel of Mark, this is the only place where Jesus is referred to as the son of David. We know that that's a title of Jesus. and, And in the other Gospels, we hear it in various places. But in the Gospel of Mark, this is the only place where Jesus is called the son of David, the triumphal entry of Jesus entering into Jerusalem is all about Israel welcoming their Messiah. And here the title, the son of David, well, it's getting used as a messianic title. This is the the title of the Messiah, the son of David. And the strange thing is it took a blind man to see that Jesus is the son of David. So let's continue on. Chapter 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a cult tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to him, what are you doing untying the colt?" And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the cult to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Right. in this gospel, the gospel of Mark, and in the Gospel of Luke, the animal that carried Jesus is described as a colt. Um, the Greek word is polon, which means a foal. Right? It could either be a young horse or a young donkey or a young mule. Um, and the reason we call it a colt rather than a filly is because in the Greek, it has a masculine ending to its word. In the Greek, you just change a few letters at the end, and it changes it from masculine to feminine. And so it's a cult. In the Gospel of Matthew and John, it's described as a donkey. So in Matthew, he describes it just as a plain donkey. In John, he describes it as a young donkey. And so it's pretty clear you put all this together with the reading that from... What what reading... Zachariah that that was read this morning and um, it's clear that it's a young cult donkey and it's obvious that this animal's never been broken in because we're told that nobody's ever even sat on it now you've got to love theologians Theologians, right, they're always looking for really spiritual stuff for us to learn out of Bible readings. And, and um, I was reading one commentary, and, and this um, commentary I read said that, you know, the fact that this was an animal that had, no one had ever sat upon, it's, it's like a symbol of something suitable for carrying something to the sacrifice, you know, and, and because it's never been, never been sat on. And I'm thinking, okay. I just see a miracle. Here we have a young, sprightly donkey or a mule or whatever it is that that nobody's ever broken in, right? Nobody's ever even sat on it. And here's Jesus, um, probably not a great horseman from his experience because carpenters who spend most of their time with fishermen don't usually spend a lot of time riding. So he's probably not very experienced with equine control and he gets on this unbroken donkey without a saddle, and he gets taken down a street with people shouting and yahooing and waving branches and throwing stuff down in front of this donkey. Now, for those of you who know anything at all about equines, how much luck do you think most people who'd never ridden a donkey or a horse would have with that? Not much. I just see a miracle of God at work here. I mean, the odds are Jesus should have just been thrown and the donkey done the bolt. It's a miracle of God. But what's the significance of there being a donkey in the first place? What's the significance? As a young fella, I remember every year on Palm Sunday being told by the preacher that the people were expecting their conquering hero to come in on a horse. But he didn't, because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He didn't come into town on a war horse. He came in on a humble donkey. Hmm, maybe, maybe. By the way, you, you know there's no mention of Jesus riding a horse anywhere in the New Testament until the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, we get a picture of Jesus Christ riding into town on a horse, Because on that day, he does come in judgment. But why now? As Jesus rides into Jerusalem, is he coming in on a donkey? Well, Bartimaeus gave us a bit of a hint when he called Jesus the son of David. And to understand this, we've got to go into the Old Testament, into 1 Kings chapter 1. King David is getting really old. And his fourth son, Adonijah, fancies himself to be the next king. And so Adonijah has been doing lobbying. You know how politicians sort of do the lobbying? Yeah, you know, I want to be the next politician. And they start lobbying and building themselves up and making themselves very politician-like. Well, Adonijah is doing this to try and make himself very king-like. And so he sets himself up with chariots and horsemen, and he has 50 men who who run along out in front of him. That sounds all very very kingly, doesn't it? Sort of like a presidential motorcade. And he's organising a great big party for himself, which he's sort of conspiring to become his coronation. His dad hasn't died yet, but he's sort of setting all this up so that Adonijah is going to become king. But King David, he's still got a few people who's loyal to him and they draw draw David's attention to this. And that disturbs David a bit because God has told him that Solomon is the one who is to be king. And so they take action and so Solomon is very quickly anointed as king and the trumpet blew and the crowd shouted, long live King Solomon. And it seems like the clincher so that everybody in town could know that, that Solomon was David's pick, so that everyone would know that Solomon had David's blessing to become the next king, how did they do it? They put Solomon on David's mule. You see, the kings of Israel didn't ride horses. They rode mules. And they put Solomon onto David's own mule, And they led that through the city. And that was the sign that Solomon was the son of David. It was the sign that he was the king's pick. He was the one who was going to be rightfully the king of Israel. You can see what's going on, can't you, now, as Jesus rides this donkey into Jerusalem. Now... When God foretold that Solomon was going to take the throne, this is what he said in 1 Chronicles chapter 22. Behold, a son will be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies for his name shall be Solomon and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. Now get this bit. He shall be my son and I shall be his father and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now, was he talking about Solomon or was he also talking about Jesus? When Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem, this was the sign that Jesus is the son of David who has rightly come to claim the throne. Now, we also know that Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus' royal throne is established forever. Obviously, the people cheering him that day, well, they didn't know this. They are cheering him for another reason. Otherwise, they wouldn't have crucified him only a few days later. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of David, but they completely misunderstood what that really meant. And um, it was all a very patriotic nationalism as they waved their palm leaves and, and were yelling out, oh, save us, that's what Hosanna means. So they enter the city and the disciples throw the clothes on the colt for Jesus to sit on. And then the people throw their, their coats and stuff on the ground for him to ride across. And the reason we call it Palm Sunday, of course, is because they strip down a heap of leafy branches and throw them on the road for him, sort of like a carpet. Now, I don't know if you realise this or not, but there's Old Testament roots for this as well. In 2 Kings chapter 9, a prophet of God anoints Yehu as king. Now, you probably might remember Yehu. he doesn't doesn't get much much airplay in the old testament but he's there and um this prophet anoints Yehu, or jehu you might call him um anoints him a bit by surprise this fellow he didn't really want to be king he was just one of the commanders and um he was in this meeting of commanders of the army and whatnot and this prophet comes in and says, I've got a message for you. And it looks around, message for who? Oh, it's for you, yahoo. Oh, okay. So they go into a back room and he says, look, you get, I'm anointing you as king. There you go. Um, this is why, toodle I'm off out of here. And he does the bolt. He just runs away. Um, and yahoo seems like he's a bit of a reluctant king. He doesn't really want to be king. And so he comes back out and, and they said, what, what did that crazy prophet want? And he said, oh, you know how crazy he is. Um, This is just what he said. And they said, right, you're going to be king then. But Yehu was anointed as king to put to death the most wicked king that Israel had ever had. He was anointed king to put to death King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, the most evil, godless tyrants who had utterly destroyed the nation of Israel and led the people astray. And when Yehu was was anointed as king, it was all a bit impromptu, and nobody was expecting it. Nobody knew this was going to happen. And and we read in 2 Kings chapter 9, then in haste every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Yehu is king. So what are we being told here? Jesus comes as King of Israel. He has been anointed as king of Israel to cleanse her of her evil, just as Yehu was. So this is all building up. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. By the way, as I said before, the word Hosanna, it's Aramaic, which means O save. So, whenever you're sounding very religious and you go, Hosanna, you're saying, Oh, save. Wow. What's Jesus going to save? It's all really building up. The Messiah has come to his capital, he's on his way to claim his throne. He's on his way now to the temple. What's going to happen? What's going to happen when he gets to the temple? It's all building, isn't it? We're we're coming to the climax. Verse 11, and he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, it was already late. And he went out to Bethany with the 12. What? It's building up to this mighty crescendo. What a letdown. What a letdown. He goes into the temple. He has a look. Ah, too late. Wouldn't any climax? It's too late. Their Messiah wasn't going to be the political leader that they'd hoped for. Now they should have known this. But they didn't know it because they didn't pay enough attention to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Who was that? Who came to prepare the way before Jesus? John the Baptist. Did they pay attention to John the Baptist? No, they didn't. Some of the people did, but not the people who ruled the temple that Jesus went to. John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus, but the religious leaders wouldn't listen to him. And we are going to see this shortly. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says Yahweh of hosts. For who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to Yahweh. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to Yahweh as in the days of old and as in former years. All right? Jesus is setting himself up as king, but this king also comes as judge and refiner and purifier and jesus actually comes as a sacrifice of sins jesus will purify the sons of levi and refine them right that means the priests the sons of levi that's the priests the religious leaders jesus is coming to sort them out now the refining fire that can be a tough thing to go through but when Jesus enters the temple, he sees it's too late. And as he comes back the very next day, we can see why. Right? So Jesus has gone away. He's um, obviously had to take the donkey back. He told them that we'd, we'd get it back here pretty soon. So obviously he had to do that. Verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he is teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it. And were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, right, so this is another day, so they've gone home again, and they're coming back again. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots, And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it'll be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. You know, it's, uh, it's quite fashionable these days for people to hop onto the popular bandwagon of environmentalism. And I, I often getting heard it claimed by people that even sometimes in the name of Jesus, that oh, we shouldn't ever do land clearing and and basically people who have no idea about good land management and sustainable production um, just say, ah, we shouldn't be harming God's creation by clearing trees and they just want productive farms to return to scrub. And sometimes my response to people like this is a little bit naughty. And I can say, well, I can't think of any instances where Jesus planted trees, but I, I, I can remember where he killed one. And um, you, you can use that, by the way, if you want, if you want to be a bit naughty too. But, but what's going on here? Why on earth did Jesus kill that fig tree? I mean, that fig tree didn't do anything wrong. Well, I mean, it wasn't even fig season. We're told that. that we're told there's no figs on it because it wasn't fig season. And Jesus goes, no figs. Right, away with you then. What's going on? And why is it form a sandwich here? We sort of have half of the story, and then we have story about the cleansing of the temple and whatnot, and then we have the other half of it. It's sort of sandwiched all together. What's going on? Well, I reckon the fig tree was a living, breathing example of Israel for a little while because the fig tree didn't live and breathe for very long. The fig tree represents Israel. Jesus came to Israel, but it had no fruit for him. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. The old Jewish religious system was coming to an end. Jesus went into the temple and he cleared it of its corruption. God's going to do a completely new thing here. Jesus wasn't just going to tweak things a bit. And the lesson to the disciples of the fig tree was have faith in God. Because over the next week, they're going to need to have a lot of faith. And not just the next week. Through all of those early years of that early church, Those disciples were going to need a really strong faith every step of the way as they were a part of this new thing that Jesus was going to be doing. Verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I'll ask you a question and you give me the answer. And I'll tell you what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Tell me that. And they discussed it with one another saying, hmm. If we say it's from heaven, then he's going to say, And why didn't you believe him? But shall we say from man? For they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, yeah, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and they killed him. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He had, he had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, "They'll respect my son." But those turnants said one, said to one another, "This is the heir." come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvellous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. Oh, they were quick, weren't they? So they left him and went away. Jesus didn't just come to tidy up the old system a bit. The Son of God came to his temple, and religion couldn't handle him. They rejected him. They're planning to kill him. And this is what Palm Sunday is about. Sometimes we don't get all this because we like to just take tiny little snippets of Scripture. But when you read the story as a whole and you connect it all together and you follow it through, You see what Palm Sunday is really about. You know, the picture that some people present of Jesus, it just boggles our mind how somebody could ever crucify somebody like that. But when we realise that Jesus came not to simply to affirm us as we are and not to just affirm the religious leaders as they were, but he actually came to purify us and to make us holy as God wants us to be. And as we can see the way that people reject against that, and we see the tension that this causes, especially amongst the religious leaders, we can begin to see how they could come to the position of wanting to crucify Jesus in such a short time. That's how we move from this grand triumphal entry into Jerusalem, To the tortured, crucified Christ in less than a week. Today we celebrate Jesus coming as King. But we actually look forward even more so to when He returns as King. He came as the one to purify us, He came as the sacrifice. But because of the victory that Jesus won on the cross, we look forward to the day when Jesus will ride to town on his horse. The day when he will come to deal with all evil and welcome us into his eternal kingdom. Anyone looking forward to that day? I certainly am. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the Messiah. You are Christ. You are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. You are the righteous ruler. We cry out to you, Lord Hosanna, save us. Save us from our sins. Save us from evil. Save us from being evil. May we be a people who honour you and worship you and who eagerly await your return. Amen.